Hello, my name is Mike Trevisano. I'm ordained as a Shuzo in our seminary program at the Blue Mountain Lotus Society, part of our Dragonfly Sangha or community, and I will be delivering this evening's Dharma talk. The topic for tonight is happiness. More specifically, the question, why does happiness matter? And this question came to me just in that exact way from a good buddy of mine about a week and a half ago. We were talking about stuff, <clears throat> life, and, and he was curious if Buddhism had a specific perspective on happiness and its role. What role does it play? Because, in his words, <clears throat> how could life be all about bubblegum and glitter when there's so much injustice in the world right in front of our faces? Isn't the point, from an evolutionary standpoint, isn't the point just to pass on our genes, get in, get out, pass on our genes, and move on. What right do we have to be chasing after things like happiness? It's a, it was a, it's a good question. It was a good conversation. And afterward, I reflected on it a little bit. I thought back to a conversation that my wife and I had some 25 so years ago. We were living in Boston at the time. We were driving back to our home on eight-hour drive, talking about the kind of things that you talk about, you know, on a drive like that with somebody you really dig. And I was asking her, you know, what, if, if she could have anything, if anything could come true for her, have what would you know, what would the perfect life look like for you? What is that? What what could it be? Like if you can't have anything, everything comes happens just the way you'd want it. And she said, "I want to be happy." And I remember, like, like we, we, you, we, yeah. I mean, yeah, you want to be happy, but I mean, like, like in a Ferrari, right? I mean, doing what? And she was real earnest, and I just want to be happy. In our tradition, we have this idea of the Genjo Koan, a question or a situation that sort of follows you out. That you, follows you around. You've got to you know, figure it out. Question to help you on your way. And this became one of those for me. Because in my life, up to that point, and I will admit for a, a long good time afterwards, happiness isn't something you just get to be. You do stuff. You get stuff. You like build a foundation. You like set your life up in such a way that you, it looks a certain way that you're paid a certain thing, that you, you know, people call you a certain title, you surround yourself with certain things and people, and at the result, <clears throat> you get to be happy. And so, you know, it felt like jumping the line. What do you mean you just going to be happy? It doesn't make any sense. If we look at happiness from an evolutionary standpoint, my, my pal was, was, was pretty right. Right? From what we know about the point of evolution is it is about the, the ability of a species to continue on. And critical to that is the ability for individuals in the, the, the species to be able to pass on their genes, to succeed in, in competition against the other members of that species, to pass on our genes. In this way, evolution does not really care about us being happy. It cares about us being productive. 
And it uses happiness as a tool in this, in this great endeavor. And it uses it just like it uses the other emotions, that we have these emotions like happiness, and joy, and you know, these good feeling kind of things. And we're attracted to them, we go after them, and we avoid the other side, you know, dissatisfaction and frustration. Avoid those, go for those. And in, in a three-part process, evolutionists sort of framed it up to be this way. The first part is that we are rewarded when we get something we go after, that we have an image in our head of what the life looks like, just like me when I was talking to my wife, that we, we kind of have, it looks sort of like this, right? That, like the perfect life looks like this. And when I achieve some step on my way up to that image, I'm rewarded with that sweet, sweet dopamine. Ah. Hey, you did it, buddy. You made it. You, you, you got a new TV, huh? Good job. Here. Take this. Oh, thank you. It feels wonderful. So that's part one. Part two is that we experience this feeling of happiness and then it goes away. The feeling disappears. Evolution doesn't work by design, but in humans, it's like it, it, by design, we get the happy experience and then it goes away. And this is, this is important because if experiencing happiness never went away, then of course we'd have no motivation to keep on chasing after anything, to keep on competing. And that is not a good strategy for a species at all. If everybody just bought a phone with four more cameras on the back of it, and we were all just so thrilled with it that we never did anything else, our species would see a pretty precipitous decline. So by, it has to work that way. We've got to have this built-in thing where we get something, we experience happiness, and it goes away. So we have to chase something else. And the third part is that we forget parts one and two. That we otherwise might see parts one and two as a little bit futile, right? Like, what do you mean? So every time I get something, I'm roided with a little bit of dopamine, but then it goes away, i got to chase something else. I'm out. I'm out. So it's critical that we, we forget that we do this. Psychologists call this the hedonic treadmill, that we run on this hedonic treadmill. What a great image. Like, dun, dun, dun. Not getting anywhere, but just continuing to chase after these things that we think are gonna get us to this make-believe image of perfection that we have for ourselves, this moving target that we have for ourselves. This is incredibly similar to one of the most foundational teachings in Buddhism. One of the first things that Shakyamuni Buddha taught after his own enlightenment were the Four Noble Truths. They sound very much like what the hedonic treadmill is describing, just 2,700 years ago. The first Noble Truth is about this suffering that we all experience as a birthright by being human Suffering is part of it. What he meant by that is that whether we're experiencing profound loss, disease, poverty, or all the way to this sort of low-level um, of like dissatisfaction, like life, I don't know. I just thought it'd be cooler than this, whatever. Like on both ends of the spectrum, we experience some level of suffering. Now, it's important to distinguish between suffering and pain because 
life can be painful. As, as Sensei Tony said in a couple of Dharma talks ago, life can be painful, but we don't have to suffer. What he meant by that is that suffering is sort of like this conditioned packaging we put on top of things that we otherwise would think are, are painful. Or this extra thing we do when we aren't experiencing something that is legitimately painful. We just could do it to ourselves. But life can be painful. We experience loss. We lose people in our lives. Things don't always go well for us. And it makes sense to experience the emotion that goes along with that pain. But we don't have to wrap it in extra packaging. We don't have to set ourselves down a path of you know, feeling bad for feeling bad. Come on, buck up, just get over it, whatever. You know, we don't have to do that to ourselves. The second noble truth is about the causes of suffering. Simply put, we experience suffering because of the things that we crave, because of the thirst we have. We see this image of ourselves up here, this image of perfection that if we were really tasked to describe, we'd probably have a hard time describing, but it's there anyway, we're pretty sure. But we see ourselves kind of here. And if we could just close this gap with stuff, with experiences, and four or five more cameras on the back of our phone, we could just maybe close this gap and we could get closer to that image of perfection. We wouldn't suffer anymore. We'd finally be happy, permanently happy. This life would finally be what I deserve. Close the gap. The third noble truth is that we don't have to do this. That you can stop. We don't have to feel this way. We can stop it. Get off the treadmill. You can at least turn the thing down a little bit. Lower the incline. The fourth noble truth is the path to how to do this. And uh, paramount in this path is seeing things clearly. Having the right understanding of, of what, where happiness resides in, in the pantheon of human experience. And where it resides is that it is linked to all of the other emotional responses we have as humans, all of the other ones. You, you can't have just one. It's a package deal. Sadness is part of it. In fact, the only reason I know happiness is because I know sadness. If everything around us was yellow, and I'm not talking about uh, different shades of yellow, I'm talking about yellow, one yellow, sunshine yellow, everything's yellow, we would have no idea about any other colors. There would be no context to imagine other colors. And we would have no idea of what yellow is, because everything's yellow. There's, there's no reason to describe it. In this same way, there is no thing as a world of happiness without anything else. There'd be no context for us to experience it. The only way I know and understand joy is because I know and understand sorrow. And I see it. I feel it. I've felt it. And so when I'm joyful, it's all the more, more powerful for me. The only reason I understand gratitude is because I understand loss. I understand things not going my way. 
I understand losing things that were important to me. In, in Buddhism, one of the ubiquitous images we have, or metaphors for this, is the lotus flower. Bernie Glassman um, writes about this beautifully in, in one of his books, Bernie Glassman, of course, being one of Sensei Tony's teacher. In, uh, in his book, Instructions to the, to the Cook, he writes about the lotus flower and he says, he points out real clearly that we, we tend to focus on the flower on the happiness, you know, this beautiful white, purple flower. And we forget, or we avoid, the idea that the only reason we have that beautiful flower is the mud that it grows in. That if there were no muddy water for that lotus flower to grow from, there would be no flower. The nutrients that feed the lotus flower, coming from all sorts of, you know, dead and decaying materials, are the reason we have that beautiful flower. It's the same thing with happiness and sadness and joy and sorrow. They're part of the same. It's one interconnected experience for all of us. When I see this clearly, I'm able to start moving away from this conditioned chase towards perfection to this world of doing things and having things and trying to close the gap. I can move towards an orientation of being. What we call in our four directions system of mindfulness, I can move towards my, my true self, a place of being. I'll do things. I will have things. I will have TVs and I can enjoy the TV. I can, that's a cool TV. But from a place of deep being, it doesn't define me. I'm not defined by these things. I'm not defined when I lose them. I'm not defined by my ability to chase after them or how I compare to somebody else. This is really important because when I can see clearly, I develop two things naturally. In fact, they're emergent. I don't even have to try. It just happens. The first is wisdom. I develop this equanimity to see things and greet things in my life as part of an image of wholeness, not perfection, part of a great tapestry that, in, that by virtue of being human will include beautiful, happy experiences and profound, sad experiences. It is inevitable. And when seen that way, I allow myself to experience gratitude when things go well. When things are happy, I can, I can be grateful for them. I can bow to them. Thank you for this in my life right now. Because I know it isn't permanent. And the other is true as well. When I am suffering, when I am going through a painful experience, I can find hope in knowing that that too does not define me. That that too is not permanent. The next thing that is emergent is compassion, because it's natural. When I know profoundly, and I admit to it sincerely, my own running on the treadmill, and by virtue of me not being anything special, I can see everybody else on their treadmill as well. A million billion treadmills, all of us. The world's largest gym. Dum, 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 dum. When I see that, and I know that, 
somebody does something that I otherwise would think is a pretty poor behavior, where they maybe are cause some hurt or they cause some harm, I can focus on the person underneath the behavior. I see it as a, a symptom of their treadmill, just like mine. When some dude zings by me on, on the highway, I'm like, jerk, look at that guy, jerk. Instead of seeing him as just a villain, horrible driver, what I see is me. I've driven like that. I know what that's like. I know, I'm, I'm the dude, I've done that. Tailgating somebody and like, come on man, go. I've done that. I don't have to see somebody else as a villain. Doesn't mean that they don't have to account, especially if they cause hurt or harm. I don't mean that. They do. I do. I have to be accountable for my actions, especially when I cause hurt and harm. But they don't have to define me. They don't define me. They don't define us. When I see that clearly, the way I, op I operate with people is different. I focus on helping the suffering underneath the behavior that the person did. And I think going back to the initial question, you know, how shouldn't we be focused, how can we focus on happiness when there's so much injustice around? I think seeing clearly and, and having these things like wisdom and compassion and living from a state of being from our true self, I think that is the antidote. That is how we're going to solve these huge problems that we have. Seeing each other differently, getting off the treadmill collectively, and it starts individually. It starts with me getting off of my treadmill by operating differently from my own life, for the people right in front of me, the people who are closest to me. I think that's where the largest difference can be made. I hope this was helpful. I hope if you're experiencing any kind of suffering or you're just interested, you have some questions that you'll reach out to us. We are dedicated to helping, to doing this, to getting off the treadmill, to helping others to get off the treadmill as well. Please reach out to us. Our four direction system of mindfulness is, is all about this. It really is, I mean, spoiler alert, it's all about seeing things pragmatically, you know, as we experience them, and seeing them for what they really are, and being able to reorient ourselves from this other place, from this deeper place, from this true self place, and to be able to choose thoughts accordingly that are in better service of these deeper experiences, and to allow ourselves to open up for what I think my wife was talking about all those years ago, real joy and compassion and humility and a wonder that this that we get to experience this thing at all and i mean i'm not just that that we're here at all ultimately it is the place where love emerges for myself and for others and we don't have to run on the treadmill we can make a difference by getting off of it Thank you very much, and I wish you the very, very best.